Okay, let's open our Bibles today, please, to the, the last chapter of the book of Acts. You knew that we would eventually get here. We are, we are here. Uh, our sympathies go out to Ira and Billie Jean Siebold today, down here in the front. Ira's mother passed away, and we uh, sympathize with you and pray for you and lift you up during this time, Ira. God bless you. That's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the greatest uh, challenges in life right there. Acts chapter 28, I'd like to talk to you today about the advancement of the good news. Um, we've been following the missionary journeys of Paul. Uh, now we uh, come to the end of, of the book of Acts. And uh, we want to read one verse of chapter 27 before we do the first verse of 28. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. Uh, Paul was on this ship. He was uh, on the course of his fourth missionary journey. Now, this was the journey that, uh, that he uh, didn't get to plan himself. Someone else planned it for him. Uh, he, heretofore, he would choose his own itinerary, not here. Uh, this itinerary was chosen for him. And when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, Many of you are familiar with that island off the uh, tip of Italy. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. Because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold, and when Paul had gathered a, a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper or a snake came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. He went from a murderer to a god real quick right here. Simply because he didn't fall down dead because of the bite of the snake. In verse 7, in, in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, uh, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. And when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Uh, we have followed the life of Paul as he's gone from place to place, and he has been a, uh, a church planter, an evangelist, a missionary, uh, an encourager of people in the church, a fundraiser, and now here in this section he is a healer. Uh, he healed uh, this person who was sick. And, in, and then the word got out in verse number 9. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases had come in and were healed. A big healing service broke out as a result of him being there. Well, this was just one stop along the way. Uh, the ship broke up. Uh, people made it to the island. 
Uh, the ship was lost, the cargo was lost, but uh, the good thing is everybody was saved just as Paul told them they would be. Uh, he finally landed uh, in Rome. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or customs of our fathers, yet I, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. His Roman citizenship paid him uh, uh, big dividends. The Jews tried to kill him on every occasion. It was just one thing right after another, and the Romans saved him, uh, saved him for ministry. So he comes to Rome, and the first thing he does, and, and I know that you knew that this is what he was going to do, uh, is he called the Jews together because this is, uh, this is what he did. Remember, his passion was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he comes to Rome and he says, listen, I've got to meet with the Jews. And he called them together and he was having this meeting with them. Look at verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. He's been chained for a long time, really, right here, two years in Caesarea, this big, long journey by ship. And he says, the reason I'm in the condition that I'm in is because of I'm preaching the hope of Israel. And the hope of Israel was none other than Jesus the Messiah, the person that they were looking for but did not recognize when he came. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. Uh, but we desire to hear from, from you what you think and concerning this sect. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. He, they said, listen, we don't know the details of what you're talking about. We want to know more, but we do know one thing. This sect of which you are a part, it's spoken of evil everywhere. Everybody's, everybody is putting down the sect of the Nazarenes, the sect of the people of the way. Um, that division of Judaism uh, that they kept pushing farther and farther out of their religious realm. Verse 23, so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. And uh, that is uh, usually the conclusion of your persuasion and my persuasion. And we are a lot less persuading, I'm sure, than Paul was. Paul was very adept, uh, very astute in uh, his persuasion. And uh, he was very good at going back to the law of Moses and to the prophets and explaining to them that Jesus indeed was uh, the promised Messiah of Israel. Uh, he had a wonderful ministry in Rome. Remember, he always wanted to get there, but not under these conditions. Uh, you know, we, we have our life charted out for us, and, and half the time we say, well, you know, life is okay, but not under these conditions. That's what he said. Uh, look at verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. It's interesting, as you read the book of Acts, every time he uses that word Gentiles, they close their ears. 
Uh, it was a, the speech was over. That's all he has to use is that one word. It's finished. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. And, and the last verse. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. You know, there's so much in this story. And what we'd like to do, first of all, this morning is, is uh, rewind just a little bit back into chapter 27. Uh, Paul is on this ship, um, uh, not of his own free will. Uh, he is chained. He is a prisoner. He is going to Rome to be tried by Caesar. And uh, as the storms break out, uh, it's amazing how his stature changed on the ship. When he went on that ship, he was a prisoner. He was in chains. But uh, whenever the storms broke out, he, uh, he had a new role to play. He became the, literally the captain of the ship. He took over. Here is this prisoner who was going to Rome to be tried, and now he becomes the captain. He spoke to them with authority. And for those of you who are here last week, you understand this. He spoke with authority. And you know, whenever, whenever the Lord is in our heart and uh, whenever we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be authoritative. We really can. Yeah, and this, is, this was the mark of the ministry of Jesus. You know, whenever the people heard Jesus speak, they said, he speaks with authority and not as the scribes. And what they meant by that is, is all the scribes and all the Pharisees who were always quoting all the other people, Jesus didn't do that. He just spoke with authority. The scripture also says that he cast out demons with authority. He was a person of authority. And so here was Paul following in the footsteps of Jesus. He warned them, as you remember, not to go on this journey because he was a veteran sailor. Uh, you know, travel back in that day was by ship. One of our members, one of our members told, us, told me the other day, he says, I want to go to uh, Europe on a boat and I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's torture just to go in an airplane. Why would you want to go in a boat? He says, well, I don't like airplanes. I said, you'll never get there. You know, it's, it's a, how, many, how long does it take to go on a boat anywhere? Well, you know, in biblical times, that's the way they traveled. And Paul was a veteran sea traveler. And he gives us a little insight into 2 Corinthians 11.25. Let's read it. Three times I was beaten with rods. <laughs> Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. He said, listen, I've been shipwrecked three times. Now, that would spook anybody, wouldn't it? But, uh, you know, he was not concerned about his life. He's a little bit different than we are. You know, we'd have one little incident. We'd say, okay, I give up riding, uh, riding that way. He says, here, I've been a night and a day deep been in the deep, maybe he was bobbing up and down on some sort of a piece of wood after the ship broke up, I don't know. But, but he warned them with authority, they didn't take his advice, and then he calmed them on that ship, if you remember. He said, an angel appeared to me, and I'm sure that whenever he explained that whole situation, it really calmed their heart. In effect, what he did is he took charge. Uh, he didn't do it uh, out of uh, pride, he just did it out of necessity. He started telling the centurion and the soldiers what to do. He told them that they needed to, to eat because, remember, they lost their appetite. Uh, for 14 days, they hadn't eaten anything because they were so afraid and so shook up. He said, listen, it's time to eat. The angel told me we're all going to be saved. 
And then in the course of that, he gave thanks to the Lord whenever he told them to eat. And, you know, that's always a good thing to do because every single thing we have comes from God. Amen? And it's wonderful to be able to give thanks to the Lord. First, Peter, uh, First Timothy chapter 4, 4, 4, chapter 4, verse 4 says this, For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. I remember when we used to go to Haiti, I, I tried to remember that whenever they fed us. Every creature of God is good. Just thank God for it. I remember one time they said, well, we're having a real, delic- a, a real delicacy. We were out in the country and, and they said, see all those goats over there? We're going to have one of them tonight. Well, I had to get up for it. But uh, with Thanksgiving, we did. Amen. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus broke bread. Remember in Matthew fifteen thirty six, he gave thanks to the Lord. Uh, they were encouraged by the, by the encouragement of Paul. You know, it's amazing how one person can encourage so many people. You know that? Uh, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 34, uh, 1 through 4. And this is it. And uh, I don't know how many years ago, uh, when I, I started to on a little campaign to memorize verses of praise to God. And this is the first section uh, that I learned to memorize. And almost every day... I pray this particular passage to the Lord in my praise time to him. And so let's read it together, okay? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble, the discouraged, shall hear it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he hurt me, and he delivered me from all my fears. The first section says, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise. Bless and praise are synonyms. They essentially mean the same thing. Continually, we're to be praising the Lord. Uh, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And as a result of this, the humble or or the discouraged shall hear it and be glad. How do we encourage the discouraged we encourage them when we praise the Lord we encourage them when we show to them that listen even though the world is out of control and for sure our country is out of control and all of these horrific things are happening there is one thing that cannot suppress uh, and be suppressed and that is our praise to God our praise to the Lord. And so whenever we praise the Lord, the discouraged will see that, they will hear that, and it will make them glad. It will, it will encourage them. And so here is Paul on the ship, and uh, these people are discouraged. They're distraught. And so he's praising the Lord, and he's encouraging them. Remember on that ship he was a servant. Uh, he, he, uh, he came, the ship broke up, they ended up um, on Malta, and uh, he began to, as we saw in verse number 3 of chapter 28, to gather sticks. You know, he could have, at this particular time, he could have asked for a throne. Uh, He could have uh, guided, remember, he guided the ship essentially through the storm. He encouraged them. Most of them were in despair, but but, but not Paul. 
Paul decided to be in dependency to God rather than despair. And there's a difference between those two things. He decided to draw close to the Lord in the midst of the storm. And I want to encourage you to do that. Whenever the storms of life come your way, don't despair. Draw closer to the Lord. And when you draw close to the Lord, God will give you strength for the storm. Isaiah 40:31 is, again, another favorite of mine. Let's read it. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Whenever we stand in the presence of the Lord, the Bible says we renew our strength. Now, isn't that what you need? I'll tell you what, that's what I need. My strength becomes depleted emotionally, physically, mentally. My strength just like runs down like a car's running out of gas. But when I get into the presence of the Lord, he, what's the verse say? He renews my what? My strength. And enables us to mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. That's exactly was Paul's experience on this boat. James 4.10 is a, is a kindred verse. Let's read this. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. And this is exactly what Paul was doing on the boat. Uh, they were in despair. He was in dependence. He bowed down before the Lord, and, uh, and the Lord lifted it up, him up and gave him honor on the boat. They were in awe at his strength. Well, he was gathering sticks there, and uh, he could have had any one of his helpers, Luke. He could have had... Aristarchus, he could have had anybody, but he was caring for people in an unspectacular way. Remember, he is the greatest theologian in the world, and he is out there gathering sticks for the fire. And uh, I was reading one commentary, and uh, the commentator said that he was earning the right. I love that statement. Ever since the first time I heard that statement, I've loved it. Earning the right to be heard. Now, let me say to you today that we don't, have to have, we don't have to earn the right to be heard, but it's nice if we can earn the, earn the right. And that simply means that they saw in him a person that they could respect, a person that was willing to get down and be one of the common folks, uh, a person who was willing to get their hands dirty, a person who was willing to serve other people. Uh, that evokes respect, doesn't it? And so they saw in him a person that was willing to help them in their hour of need. And so therefore, he had more and more uh, opportunity to be the leader. Uh, you know, real leaders are servants, by the way. And one of Paul's favorite descriptions of himself, if you read the New Testament, is always he begins a lot of his letters this way. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, he, he kind of liked to key in on that because that was his goal in life, to be a servant, not only of God, but of his fellow men as well. Uh, you know, God looks for leaders among his servants. You know, the Lord's work needs leaders, but there is only one pool that God wants to choose those leaders from, and that's the pool of his servants. 
if you took, a, I think, a poll today of people who are leaders in the church, people who are leaders in Christian service, they would all tell you the same thing. All I ever wanted to do was be a servant. I did not aspire to leadership. I didn't, I didn't wake up as a Christian and say, hey, listen, I'd make a great leader, wouldn't I? Uh, they aspired to be a servant. And most of them ran from every opportunity to be a leader. But you can't outrun God. And God needs some leaders. And so he looks for people who are serving faithfully. And I always say this, that uh, the reward of a job well done is more work to do. And so uh, whenever you surrender yourself to be a servant, uh, just, just be on guard. If you're a good one, you could be a leader one day. Well, storms give us opportunities to help each other. Someone said one time, it's only the little man who refuses the little task. And that's really true. That's really true. When there's a little task, the big people step up and say, hey, listen, count me in. I'll do that. Um, he did this healing mission. He had Luke there with him, Colossians 4.14 uh, says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Uh, Paul was exercising the gift of healing, uh, and he himself was suffering from a thorn in the flesh. Uh, you know, the healing ministry is something that, uh, that is wonderful to be a part of because, uh, you know, man is more than spirit. He is body as well. I remember years ago when we used to take our little trips down to Haiti, I'll tell you, our hearts went out to those people because they had asked literally no medical care. And, uh, and their life was just so short. When you go to those particular places of the world, all you see is young people because they, they don't grow to be old. They don't get old. And I remember I met a young pastor and he introduced me to his wife one time and, uh, and I, I went back the next year. And uh, I said, where's your wife? And he said, oh, she, she died. She died. And uh, that would be kind of rare in America, but, not, but it, was common, it was common there. And whenever we went down there, our hearts always went out to help people physically. And so here we find that, that, that this paradigm, this paradigm we have in the Bible... Whenever Paul showed up, he just didn't preach, you know, what he was there to preach. He also reached out and he had compassion on the people physically as well. And boy, when, you know, when you help somebody physically, you can really preach so much better. Well, he was doing what he was saved to do. And uh, he was doing a good job of it. Uh, for two years here, the script, and we read it, he received all who came to him. And he was guarded pretty closely. He had what we call open house. He had his own rented house, and uh, he was under house arrest. He couldn't leave, but uh, people could come to him. And I don't know whether he had a sign like this or not. Uh, if we had our, our open house, uh, if we couldn't leave, if we were under house arrest, we'd probably have a sign like this in neon. You know, come and visit me. Um, and uh, people did. Uh, with one hand, he was chained to this Roman guard, and with the other hand, he gestured, and he talked to them about the hope of Israel, Jesus Messiah, the kingdom of God. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 19 is, uh, is a great verse. Let's read this. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, 
and his kingdom rules over all. You know, in the Old Testament, there's quite a lot said about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is uh, universal, of course. It's everlasting. And here we have all the way back in the Old Testament a reference to the kingdom of God. Whenever Jesus came, he talked, too, about his kingdom. I always liked what he said in John 18.36. Let's read it. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And what he's saying in effect is his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. In the Bible we see two, uh, we see two avenues of the kingdom of God. We see the spiritual kingdom of which he invites you and me to be a part of because remember in John 3, 3 he says except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a spiritual thing. Whenever we're saved, when we invite Christ into our life, we, be, we become a, a part of God's spiritual kingdom. Um, and uh, he says, listen, my kingdom's not of this world. He was referring to a spiritual kingdom. But in the Bible, too, there is a physical kingdom. And uh, as you know, that's what they were looking for. And one of these days, that will appear on earth. John 19, verse 20. Let's read that. And many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Jesus is the king. I, mean, I feel for sure Pilate knew that. Uh, Colossians 1.3 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us unto the kingdom of his Son. Well, he spent, um, he spent now another two years in his own rented house. We call it prison. You know, when we read these letters, we read uh, Ephesians, we read Colossians, we read Philemon, we read uh, Philippians, we call them his prison letters. Uh, it's his own rented house. He was incarcerated there. And it's amazing how God provided for him. Uh, and, and God gave him the emotional stamina to bear up under the burden of this all. And it was there in this environment that he wrote one of your favorite verses. Philippians 4.13. Let's read it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This comes from his pen in this environment right here. Uh, you know, tradition says that many of the guards that uh, had to be relieved of their duty because they were becoming Christians. And I could visualize that very easily. Uh, chained to the one arm of Paul as he witnessed to everybody that came to him. Mike, they'd have to replace those guards one <laughs> one by one, wouldn't they? Uh, to see how, the, how his message affected these people. Uh, he had converts in high places, Philippians 4.22 says. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Uh, it's amazing how God works in the most difficult circumstances. And God wants to use you and me for his greatest good. 
You know, I know this is foreign language for all of us because, you know, in America we think we are created for our greatest good, don't we? Uh, but, uh, but God has created us for a higher purpose than that. And it's for his greatest good. And this will be our last verse this morning. Philippians 1.12. Let's read this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Oh, isn't that great? The greatest message that Christ gave his life for the sins of the world and people can get into that uh, experience through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And to know at the end of the day that the things that have happened to you and me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now you and I know a lot of people that at the end of their life they don't have a lot. And you're saying, Pastor, you're talking about me. They don't have a lot. Well, you know, it really doesn't make, make any difference what we have. This is the thing that makes the difference right here. That our lives actually, I like that word actually, turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. To think that we have taken up God's space on planet earth for a purpose. That the, this wonderful message of God has gone forth. He was incarcerated for two years in Caesarea, two years in Rome now. And um, I was reading that after two years, if no accusers arrived and no charges have been sent against him, he was released. And we believe at the end of the book of Acts here, uh, he was released for a period of at least two or three years. And he may have gone from there to Spain. Eventually, he was reincarcerated. And uh, his life was taken as a martyr. Uh, but uh, he was advancing the kingdom of God. And uh, I know that's what you want in your life, and that's what I want in my life. Uh, you know, it's wonderful that we can make a living and provide for our family, and that's one of our great goals in life. But, but uh, this is a higher goal than that, for the furtherance of the message of Christ. Christ, the world needs the message of Christ. And it's interesting uh, that when you read commentaries on the book of Acts, they're always taken back at how abruptly it ends. You know, he doesn't say, finally, brethren, my words are this to you, like he does in some of his letters. It just ends. Because the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit. And the acts of the Holy Spirit are still, go still going on, aren't they? And, uh, and you and I, even though our our works are not written in here like his was. Even you and I are adding additional letters to the acts of the Holy Spirit. The book is still being written. And God is using his people. He's using you in your corner of the world. He's using me in my corner of the world. Let's be faithful for the furtherance of this life-changing message that Paul gave everything to preach. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As we bow our heads in prayer this morning, uh, my question to you would be this today. Is your life really counting for the furtherance of the gospel? Is that like preeminent on top of your mind? Uh, are you thinking about that when you get up and you go to work on Monday? Or, or are you just thinking about your job only? 
Uh, are you, in the back of your brain, is, uh, is, uh, are those thoughts uh, in your head, you know, for the furtherance of the gospel? What can I, what can my life do to count for furthering this message that is life-giving and life-changing and actually eternity-changing? Well, uh, let's think about that. Dear Lord, we come into your presence now and we bring you praise. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. We pray now that as we come to the conclusion of our service that you will take these words uh, off of this page that we have spoken from today and apply them to our hearts, Lord. We know that we can't uh, be like Paul. Uh, You didn't call us to do that. But we can have a little bit of resemblance to the mission that he was on, traveling from place to place in our little corner of the world. In Jesus' name we pray.